What happens when a Catholic deacon matches wits with a Catholic radio show host? You get a marriage made in heaven. They may not always agree, but they're always faithful. It's the Akins with their view from the pew on Modern Day Radio. And welcome to this episode of View from the Pew. I am your host, Brenda Aiken, and joining me as always is the man who is finally excited about a household project, the good deacon, Scott Aiken. Excited might not be the best term, but I'm certainly motivated. Yeah, well, I'd say excited because when I mentioned that I wanted to replace all of the baseboards and the frames around the windows and doors, it was about 45 seconds later when a new miter saw <laughs> appeared in your work area. Well, I'm excited about adding to my tool collection, but 45 seconds, that sounds like Amazon dropped something from a, from a hovercraft. No, I, <laughs> I had to go out and get it from a, from a store locally. But yeah, I, I didn't just get a miter saw. I got the miter saw from my perspective. Yeah, because if you recall, I, I gave mine away that I had bought at a estate sale and I gave it to uh, a person who was working on our house whose miter saw broke while he was working on our, at our house and he was this was during um, the beginning of covid and money was tight i said hey just take just take my miter saw that i got for a great deal at a at a home um estate sale thinking i'd never need one again but then no, you give not. the project and i have to go out and replace it now I thought it was kind of funny because I do kind of know how you are, and so sometimes I'm not sure what it is. With and all couples, I think do this that know when there's a spot that we can kind of poke at you a little bit. Well, I definitely poked at the bear this time because I made the suggestion that you borrow the tool from our friends, and you said, "Oh no, that's not the way this works." Veiled pride is just that; it's veiled, <laughs> and I. Had to go out and get a saw, and like I said, it is the saw. It does all kinds of cuts. It's not if you're a, if you're a saw kind of person, you know there's chop saws, and then there's miter saws that do all kinds of bevels and cuts, and that's what I got. So. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> now, just so you know, opposite that, if I'm doing a project and I don't have the tools necessary to get it done. And I know that I have a friend who does not only will I notify that friend, Hey, can I come over? Can we work on this? We'll actually call other friends and we'll all get together and we'll make a whole evening out of sharing each other's craft stuff or cutters or sewing machines or whatever. It's for women, an opportunity to actually get together and do things together. So yeah, men and women, we just go about these things differently. So, but the reason why we are doing this indoor project is because, well, as it does in the Pacific Northwest, God opened up the faucet. It has been raining. So if your outdoor you know, projects aren't done, well, you're not going to get to them until springtime. So that's why we turn all of our work to the interior of the house. It's a great time of year, though, looking out across the, the oh, valley. Yeah. yeah, it's it's tremendous time right now. I noticed when I was working out in the yard doing one of my outdoor chores of fall, which is blowing the leaves. That's a recurring oh, yeah. you know, aspect of household uh, um, maintenance. But I looked at our rose bush. We have this great big rose hedge and it was blooming as if it was summertime. And I had to go walk over. I set the, the blower down. I stopped what I was doing. I went over and just admired this, these small roses that looked so perfect. They were just so tightly formed and they smelled great. And I'm thinking, this is something that's just odd in October when this would be something for July. 
our listeners remember back in June across this region, we had the most intense heat wave. And when I mean intense, by any measure, yeah, we were at around, I think over three consecutive days, we went somewhere between like 108, 114, and then finally on the third day, 117 degrees. And all of our plants, especially those facing west, torched. But you know, it was great to see the other morning when I let the dogs out that our hydrangea was blooming. And so I cut the cut some of those blooms off. Not many, but it bloomed. And again, one of those odd things that it's blooming in October, but I was just inspired by seeing all that, all the plants' ability to recover. I mean, the rains, if you've looked out, the rains came and the plants did come back, just as all the horticulturists were informing people, don't, don't cut anything back, just let it be, and they'll rebound more than likely. Sure enough, they did. Kind of one of those obvious references to the fact that God will make good of it, right? Don't, right. don't cut it all back. Just be patient. And it is difficult to be patient, especially when I looked at some of these poor plants because their leaves were just, they were wrecked. So using that, how do we look at our challenges in our life like that, where we have to trust somebody who is quote unquote a professional, like the, like the gardeners who say, Hey, let it be. Trust that it's going to do its thing, and we tend not to. So, I mean, that was a real struggle for us not to go out there and cut back plants, trusting in people who knew a little more, a lot more than we did. But in our faith life, our faith walk, we hear that, and there's times that we pridefully say, I, I'm going to trust what my intuition says wholly and not listen to wisdom from others who may have a stronger perspective. So, you know, I think that's how we end up, even when we go on pilgrimages, we end up expecting we're going to figure this out when in fact it's so often the other who may have been on their fifth, their eighth, their 10th pilgrimage who says, you know, you, you think you know right now, but God is going to amaze you on what can happen. Just like we're amazed when we see those flowers come back and the bushes thrive again uh, that we thought that we saw so burned so badly and they weren't broken well talking about pilgrimages coming up i have an opportunity i'm going to speak with christy wilkins now she goes on pilgrimages but in her new book awakening at lords she talks about the first pilgrimage she went on really journaled her whole trip and so we're going to talk a little bit about this book and the miracles that she was expecting, but maybe didn't get in exactly the way she thought. And then when we come back after hearing her great experience, really how it highlights when we place expectation on God's plan, we limit God, not because God's limited, but because we have blocked God from entering in fully. And God wants us to be at the banquet, not at the fast food line when we receive the blessing. So stay with us. we got a great show ahead on this week's View from the Pew. When we are called to help our friends in need, you can't count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. And I know when I need it, I can count on you. 
The 18th century skeptic philosopher David Hume argued the wise man should never believe in miracles because the evidence for what occurs over and over, the regular, always outweighs evidence for what does not, the rare. But is Hume right? Well, no, and here are some reasons why. First, it's not true evidence for uniform experience always outweighs evidence for what is rare. For example, have you experienced any big bangs lately? My guess is no. Does that mean we should reject the Big Bang? Of course not. Second, Hume's principle nullifies science itself. How could scientists ever reasonably use new findings to update their understanding of the universe if it's unreasonable to accept what contradicts our uniform experience? The answer is, they couldn't. So are miracles in and of themselves off limits for the wise, as Hume puts it? Absolutely not. I'm Carlo Brusord with a ready reason for Catholic Answers. Catholic.com. Prayer is at the heart of everything we do here at Mater Day Radio. On the air and online, we offer spiritual intentions through our three daily broadcasts of the celebration of the Holy Mass, the sacred mysteries of Christ and Our Lady in the Rosary, the Chapel of Divine Mercy, and a variety of inspiring Catholic reflections. Mater Day Radio is also honored to pray for your personal intentions through our powerful prayer hotline. Let us know how our team can intercede for you by going to materdayradio.com and clicking the prayer button on top of the homepage. Or call the Mater Day Radio prayer hotline at 503-285-3737. That's 503-285-3737. Or click the prayer button on top of the homepage at materdayradio.com. Prayer is powerful. Tap into it with Mater Day Radio, leading souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary. Family life can be hectic, but God can be found right in the middle of it. So take a moment for this week's View from the Pew. In search of a miracle for her son, Christy Wilkins made the trek to Lourdes with her son and husband. Well, she knew about the healing that happened there and believed this is what it would take to heal her son. And healing did come, but it was not the one she expected. And in her new book, Awakening at Lords, Christy shares this incredible story and is joining us today. Hello, Christy. Thank you so much for joining the program today. Hi, thanks for having me. This is an incredible story. And you are so open about your thoughts, your feelings and about your precious son, Oscar. Can you tell us a little bit more about your family and your beautiful son? Sure. Um, Well, I'm married to Todd. We've been married for 18 years now, and we have six children ranging in ages from 16. Our oldest is a high school junior, and then um, Oscar is our youngest, and he will turn six this December, but at the time of the pilgrimage, he was about 18 months old. And... um, as I said, he was our, our youngest child, and my pregnancy and delivery with him were completely typical, nothing unexpected, and it wasn't until um, he was five months old that we had any inkling that something was going to be different about his life. Um, so when he was five months old, I was at a retreat with my mother, and he had a seizure in my arms um, mm. after he had nursed himself to sleep. Wow. And so that was what kicked off the whole journey. <laughs> yeah, as a mother of, of six, obviously knew right away this is something that we have to get on top of, right? You, you knew how to mm-hmm. raise children and now you had this child 
did the doctors give have any understanding or prognosis as to what was happening to your son? You know, it's funny. You would think that, you know, with all my experience as a mother that I panicked in that moment, but I almost had the opposite reaction. I, I sometimes underreact because I don't want my kids to freak out if they get injured. I want to teach them to like really do a body check first and, and don't panic. And so when Oscar had that seizure, like I was, I was worried and I was concerned and we headed for the hospital immediately. Um, but it wasn't until I called my pediatrician on the way to the hospital and explained what had happened. And I heard their reaction that I started to feel some, some fear there. Um, but when we got to the hospital, we spent one night there. They did an overnight EEG and the neurologist that we met the next morning was very reassuring. And she told us, you know, this is fairly common with young babies. Sometimes they'll have one seizure and then they'll never have another one. We don't have any reason to worry about Oscar in particular. Take him home. Here's my number if you need anything. And so we got home. The retreat was Friday. We got home Saturday morning. On Sunday morning at mass, he had a second seizure in my arms during the consecration. Wow. (laughs) And so that was the moment where I started to have this sense that this was going to be a much bigger story than anyone had anticipated. And even over the next several months, our doctors kept trying to reassure us you know, most of the time we can take care of it with medicine. Most of the time we can do this. Most of the time we can do that. And it was never the easy thing with Oscar. And I think it was that second seizure where I kind of knew in my heart of hearts that this was not going to be the easy, tidy story that everyone was trying to reassure me it would be. Christy, in the time then that you were working with doctors, but Oscar continued to have these seizures, how did his, how did this affect his development then in the, in the, days, months, and and years to come. Sure. So he had been typically developing at all of his well checks until that point. Um, So the seizure was at five months. And by his six-month checkup, he was starting to miss milestones. And um, the doctors kept reassuring us that as soon as we got the the seizures under control, his development should start to catch up. And we did eventually get better control of the seizures. It took us about seven months and seven different medications and a bunch of hospital stays. Um, Mm. But even after we got control of the seizures, his development did not start to catch up as they had promised. Um, And it was kind of in that space over the course of the summer, over the course of those months, over the course of so many failed therapy trials and so many failed medications that my faith really started to suffer because I just, I didn't see a way forward and it seemed like at every turn, the prognosis got worse and worse. The name of the book is Awakening at Lords: How an Unanswered Prayer Healed Our Family and Restored Our Faith. The author is Christy Wilkins, and she is joining us today. Well, Christy, then how did you make that decision to go to Lords? It, it feels like, you know, we, we try to get through things medically, our, our sense of reason and our faith in science, you know, kind of bolsters that. But then you said, no, this is going to have to be our path forward. How did that all come together? You know, we, I should say, I um, applied for the pilgrimage with Oscar. I had my husband's support, but I was fully driving (laughs) driving the train here. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really an act of desperation more than anything, because we had tried everything else there was to try. And I wasn't satisfied with that. I wasn't satisfied with Oscar as he was. I wasn't satisfied with... um, what seemed like the likely likely course of his life at that point. And I was really having trouble just accepting him as the gift that he was exactly as he was. 
Um, and I had an experience in our parish adoration chapel in prayer where God basically told me point blank, this is how he is going to be. This is who he is. And I'm not going to change this. I'm not going to take this cross away from him or from you. And so I went to Lourdes almost, um, I don't want to say as a defiant act exactly, but there, there was definitely a sense that I was pushing back against that um, because it was not the answer that, that I wanted and I wasn't ready to accept it. Well, Christy, it sounds to me that you acted in any way that a mother would act that and we won't accept anything less than full healing and well, that seemed logical that if it wasn't going to work this way, then we're going to find the next way. And so mm-hmm. it led you to make this, this this trip to Lourdes. You know, Christy, all about this book is talking about how the healing you experienced, and your son did experience some of that, but that healing was much more profound and deeper and in ways that you didn't think about. So I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about this. Now, in your book, and I encourage all of our listeners to definitely pick up a copy because, boy, it's an incredible journey. It's a book it's type of a, a journal, really, from that trip. Now, reading this book, I'm, I'd like to know, did you kind of journal this trip and chronicle the events while it was happening? Or was it only until you got home and you looked back at the whole trip as a whole that you were able to see the path that it took? Mm-hmm. It was a little bit of both. And I had started writing um, to help process my my feelings about what was going on with Oscar. Even before we left, I had started a blog. And when we went on the trip, um, I did not bring a computer or write anything while I was there. I tried to just observe Mm. and take notes. Um, So I brought a paper journal with me and just jotted some things down as things were happening, um, partly to remember for myself what was happening and how it was happening, because I knew that whatever the outcome, this was going to be a really important moment in our family history. Um, And it really wasn't until I came home and we did start to see some evidence of healing in Oscar. And I definitely had strong evidence of spiritual healing in myself that I started trying to piece the narrative together and, and, you know, really trace all the threads and all the graces Mm -hmm. that were um, meandering through and the way the storylines were interacting. Um, So it wasn't until after we came home um, and I had been writing about our experience for a few weeks, that things sort of crystallized into into a narrative for me. I see. The name of the book is Awakening at Lords: How an Unanswered Prayer Healed Our Family and Restored Our Faith. The author, Christy Wilkins, is joining us today. Christy, I encourage all of our listeners to pick up a copy because not only do you chronicle the the story of what happened. It also, there's a study guide that groups can actually use this and read this. Christy, tell our listeners where they're going to be able to find Wakening at Lords for themselves. Sure. Uh, it was published by Ave Maria Press, so you can find it at the publisher's website, and it's also available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org, and most online retailers. Fantastic. Well, Christy, I thank you so much for your time today. We'll all continue to pray for you and especially keep our prayers for little Oscar. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And again, that is Christy Wilkins, the name of the book, Awakening at Lords: How an Unanswered Prayer Healed Our Family and Restored Our Faith. I will be sure to add a link to where you can get right to Ave Maria Press, and you'll find that link on the podcast of this interview at materdayradio.com. Yeah, I'm
such a powerful experience. I think even if you never attend a big pilgrimage, never go on a big pilgrimage like to Lourdes, we are always, maybe even daily, placing expectation on God. And then we get mad when it doesn't work out the way that we expect it to work out. And really what we find is those expectations, the way that Christy did, expectations limit God's ability because of our own short-sightedness. Right, right. And the the inspiration she gives in the book is just highlighting brokenness, her brokenness, her son's brokenness, and highlighting it in a way that really turns what the average mind might view of brokenness, that it, brokenness is bad, when in fact... It's a state of being, but God can make really good things come of that. The blessing of working through what would be seemingly an impossible situation, but for God's grace, you're able to see something greater as a result of it. And she sees that in her son, and she sees that in herself when she goes on this pilgrimage, that the brokenness isn't isn't the thing I should be looking at. I should be looking at what the brokenness causes in me which is even a further brokenness, a disconnect from God and a disconnect from others. And when she sees that, it suddenly makes clear sense to her that I need to trust even in that brokenness because God is not going to let me flounder. I'm, I might let myself flounder, but God is not going to let me flounder. And to focus on that, that's what pilgrimages are about to to take, as she says, to strip away all of our daily routines and our habits and put us in a place of vulnerability. Because if you're dealing with brokenness, you try to limit all of that vulnerability that brokenness brings. Talking about pilgrimages and, and Lords is definitely one of those pilgrimages that we want to go on someday. I've known many people, including my own parents, who said it is amazing to go there. And there are miracles that happen there at Lourdes all the time. You and I did have an opportunity. We've been to Rome before. That one felt less like a pilgrimage because there were so many things to visit, to look at, to see papal mass that we attended, a canonization. So then uh, several years ago, we did go on a pilgrimage to Fatima and then also spent time in Spain while we were on that trip. Most definitely the best day that we have spent on that whole trip was when we went to Fatima. It had come after a fall share like the one we just experienced. And you and I were on the share together and we took prayer intentions from anybody who called during that hour we were on, whether they gave a pledge or not, whatever their intention was, I would write them down and take them with me. And that's what I did. So I remember stepping onto the shrine, which was an experience in itself and beginning the day, pulling out all of these pieces of paper that I had written down from different people of prayer intentions. And that was my goal. I feel like I'm very task oriented. (laughs) If I am given a task, I need to fulfill it. And, and so that was my task. I had made sure that I had all these pieces of paper with me in our bag. We flew them all the way across to Europe and carried them with me that day to Lord's, and I began praying them that day. That was my expectation. But I was not ready for the bigger thing that God had prepared for us. And that's, that speaks to what Christy Wilkins writes in her book, that, that she went there with the expressed intent to have healing happen for her son, which any parent would want. And 
And it's amazing that something as wholesome and meaningful and right as being a parent in that situation, wanting the best for their son, how something like that can be twisted by the brokenness of the world to lead us to forget about ourselves. And what God wants is for us to be healed, for us to be saved, me to be saved. And I can bring the community, but he wants me too. And so sometimes we almost hide behind the fact I'm praying for the community, not knowing we're doing that, but indeed we are. I'm praying for the community because I've kind of given up on my ability to be healed from the brokenness that I'm suffering. And what I remember when we stepped on that plaza in Fatima, when you were ready to do your list of responsibilities, Mm -hmm. I stopped you and I said, something just happened. And you looked at me like, no, I didn't feel anything. (laughs) And so we, we associate a healing oftentimes with feeling, but it wasn't a feeling that some, I felt something had happened to you, which was what did indeed happen. There was a knowing something had happened and I knew without an ability to express it well, you had been healed from the autoimmune issue that you had been fighting for the past decade at that point. So that was profound to me because it really reinforced what we seek so oftentimes is that good sense, that good feeling. No, that comes as maybe afterglow to the realization that in this moment, I was trusting of God and God presented something to me that all I can say is I'm in awe. I know something happened and, and indeed it did. Yeah. And again, it uh, exceeds our expectations because I know that even in my continued medical care in working with my doctors, I actually still test positive for this kind of weird thing that I have. It, it has been healed in the most unusual of ways. Right. Yeah. The, the brokenness isn't removed in our life. And I think that just affirms what Christ says to his disciples that I go to all the time in John 16. Know that you're going to suffer in this life, but know that I've overcome it. And so you being having that echo of that reality of what you know it can do to you, that autoimmune, autoimmune issue impact, now it doesn't have the effect on you, but it's still there almost as a reminder that you're still in this life. And I've got great things for you to do. Will you end us in a prayer? Lord, thank you for an opportunity to just think about our brokenness, not as a negative, but as an opportunity for you to enter in completely. Help us to trust you this week in the struggles that we face in our own brokenness. Help us to give all that we can of ourselves to that trust through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Please tune in next week as we share with you more stories about our faith, our family, and our view from the pew. God bless and have a great week. You've been listening to View from the Pew, a weekly look at faith and family life from a Catholic perspective with Deacon Scott and Brenda Aiken. For more information on the Aikens and to listen to an archive of their previous shows, visit them online at moderndayradio.com slash pew. View from the Pew is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon.